I'm Elena Landsberg-Lewis, your host of Grandmothers on the Move, the podcast that kicks old stereotypes to the curb. Come meet these creative, outrageous, authentic, adventurous, irreverent, and powerful disruptors and influencers. Grandmothers, from the living room to the courtroom, making powerful contributions in every walk of life. We know them most intimately as loving caregivers, the older women in our lives with a thousand stories about their grandchildren and pictures in their purses. In this podcast, you'll come to know even more about our grandmothers. They are galvanized, determined, and are guaranteed to get you thinking. What drives them? What are they up to? What is the potential of grandmother power and how is it changing the world? Grandmothers are on the move. You don't want to be left behind. Hi, it's Ilana, and today I want to kick off this podcast with a very special interview. My first interview should be with the grandmother to whom I'm closest. My mother, Michelle Landsberg, has been a feminist journalist in both of Canada's national newspapers for over 25 years. I wanted to start with her, a grandmother mover and shaker for sure. So, Mom. Yes. When I first told you that I was going to do a podcast on grandmothers, the amazing contribution they were making, and that I wanted to interview you, you said, that's boring. I have nothing to say. True. Right. So my question is, (laughs) why did you think (laughs) that it would be boring? And why did you think you'd have nothing to say uh, about grandmothers and the significant contribution that they make or yourself as a grandmother? Well, of course, I was thinking in the context of the grandmother movement, and I'm not really a part of that, though I helped with the book about it, but I haven't been a part of the grandmother movement. But certainly I'm aware of scientific findings which show that grandmothers are vital to the survival and thriving of the species. Right. Don't you think that's so interesting? Absolutely. Oh, the only mammal that continues to live on, or almost the only mammal, there could be a couple of others. Whales. Whales, that's it, who live on past reproductive years. And they have theorized that it's because grandmothers, like with elephants, take a very senior leading role in keeping the babies alive, supporting the mothers. And in fact, that's what I always thought when you were first pregnant and had your first child. My mantra was, mother the mother. Right, you know, <laughs> which you did, <laughs> because the mothers need so much emotional support at the beginning of the greatest demands of their lives, right? Right. So that was my um, intuitive response to this. And situation. that's kind of interesting because in all of the interviews I've been doing, I've been asking the grandmothers I'm speaking to about their relationship to the grandchildren. Mm-hmm. I did, haven't actually asked them yet, but now I will, about the relationship to their adult child who has their right. grandchildren, whether it's their son or their daughter. And I think that very often the the uh, young mother doesn't think about what her own mother is giving her because she takes it for granted. The mother's always been there to one degree or another, and she's so focused on her own new baby she doesn't notice that there's a steady little hum of support going on in the background, which is really important because uh, it's such a fraught time. I mean, it's a very rapturous time as well. It's a thrilling time, but there's a lot of fear, uncertainty, and feeling like you're swimming in midair. 
Right. You don't know where the ground is or where your feet are. Right. <laughs> so, it's so new to be utterly, totally responsible for this tiny, fragile life. So you don't have time to notice that there's someone there making reassuring little noises in the background. <laughs> right. You can do it. Yes, you got this. It's okay. <laughs> You're fine. You know, <laughs> Or taking the grandchildren when you need a moment to freak out yes. or collect yourself. <laughs> <laughs> that too. And one of the things I've been trying to get at, and and not as a, it is a political and an intellectual exploration, but also a deeply emotional one, which is the difference between being a mother and being a grandmother. And I've asked a lot of people I've spoken to about this, a lot of grandmothers, what is that special magic ingredient? Because I see that my relationship to my children is not the same as your relationship to them. And it's not just generational and it's not just parenting. There's something deeply important and other. And most yes. of the women I have spoken to speak about the joy, speak about the relief of not having to you know, parent into the evening, being able to be there in a particular way and not another. But but I think there's more to it than yeah, that. Yeah, that's not it to me, not yeah. at all. What I think it is, I remember the fear. In fact, when I left, I had nothing to do with babies. I'd never held a baby before I held you in my arms. Right. So when I left the hospital and the jaunty little nurse followed me to the car holding you, they didn't allow the mother to hold the baby till you're in the car. She handed me you and said, enjoy your baby. <laughs> and I burst into tears right. of sheer terror. Just let me keep her alive till she's 16. <laughs> Why I thought of 16, I don't know. But anyhow. Right. I made it. <laughs> you did. You made it. But there's such an ongoing uh, weight of responsibility and fear of everything that can happen with a child. These are realistic fears, not neurotic ones. Um, you keep them under control and you go on optimistically. But truly, the grandmother has seen that her child did survive right. and did thrive and has seen the dangers that surround children in society and has seen their resilience and how they overcame. And so you have much more confidence in the survival of this second generation. You feel optimistic. This child is going to be fine. And you know that your own child survived all sorts of bad mothering and bad fathering (laughs) (laughs) and still made it through. And so will these grandchildren make it through any adversities that come their way. So there's a different happiness about them. In a way, you don't think of your own children as the future in some abstract way. They're with you in your present moment and you're deeply entangled with them. But your grandchildren you know that they go on into the future beyond you and that they're going to be terrific. Right. You can see that. Right. And uh, so there's a a confidence and optimism, a reassurance about the lovely life they're going to lead, even if they have troubles or adversities, but you have confidence in their basic human goodness and capacity. And that's something that a mother only gains by degrees as she brings up her child. So I think that's the difference. I always hate it when other grandmothers say, oh, it's great being a grandmother. I can hand them back when I get tired. Well, until I got it well into my 70s, I never did get tired with my grandchildren. I loved being with them. And the joy was not in being able to hand them back. It was being able to spend any time with them. Right. You know, so what does it mean when 
when you describe the different relationship and the different uh, res- sort of level of responsibility, but also optimism and clarity, right? Maybe, is a clarity about um, how not unsafe <laughs> motherhood is, or in spite of the things that go wrong, a person will emerge. Um, what does that mean about your role? What does that? What What is your role, or or do you see it as a role? Uh, I don't. Well. I'm usually too in the moment to think about what is my role. That's mm-hmm. just the kind of person I am. But um, I think that the parent, whether mother or father, their child represents them in the world. Mm-hmm. So if their child is having a meltdown at the age of five in the supermarket, they're deeply mortified because <laughs> this child is showing the whole world what a lousy parent you are. You know? <laughs> so you're furious with the child at right. the same time you empathize with the child's fatigue or whatever is causing the meltdown. It's a much more complicated reaction. Whereas if I'm with the grandchild and the grandchild's having a meltdown, I don't feel it's any reflection on me or my parenting. I can totally empathize with that kid and totally accept what he's feeling. And uh, I think it's that unconditionality that is the basis of grandparenting. My own grandmother barely spoke English. So I never had any deep conversations with her. But that she loved me unconditionally was without question. And that was just like a a cradle underneath me. It was so wonderful to be with my grandma. She had no criticisms. (laughs) She she didn't expect anything of me. She was just happy I was alive. Just happy to see you. yeah. Yeah. And that's what grandmothers can be. And I've been trying. I've been trying throughout these conversations to make the connection between being an older woman, because I think there must be a connection, and grandmotherhood. The relationship with the grandchildren is one thing, but the moment in life in which you find yourself mm-hmm. is another. They're, of course, they're integrated because you're one person, but they're different experiences. They're not one and the same. Yes, and. So many, one of the reasons that I'm doing this is because there are so many grandmothers who are making really exceptional contributions in their families that are mostly invisible except to those families, but also in the world, taking on things that they wouldn't have taken on at a younger age or doing things that they never thought they would do. So I spoke to a grandmother in England who was a teacher, owner of a vegetarian restaurant, (laughs) now a psychotherapist who found herself chaining herself uh, in, or locking on, as they call it, in an anti-fracking protest with Great. her granddaughter. <laughs> right? But she herself said she never thought that she'd be an activist. Yeah. Uh, but when I asked her about that, why, it was partly um, the responsibility to the younger generation, the fact that she saw her own grandchildren as the future and couldn't bear what, was going, mm-hmm. what their inheritance was going to be. Right. But it was partly, as she described it, that she no longer cared what happened exactly. to her how she looked she if she, she, exactly. if she and she got arrested and she said so what you so know what? it's not it's yeah. not going to affect my job or my standing in society yeah. and this i wonder if you can talk to me about that piece that's of that. part of the power of the older woman uh you've let go of self-consciousness your appearance does it well for, for the most part i'm sure there are still some women who care a lot about fashion or their appearance sure. Sure. but i think most of us have parted ways with that. 
<laughs> and we don't care so much about that. And also, in a way, we've parted ways with our own selfhood. I mean, you, you step back from natural narcissism in a way. You've accomplished what you're going to accomplish. You, your time in the world is limited. And, and you don't focus so much on yourself. You, you may have to focus on your physical decline. Yeah, that's true. But your role in the world, your importance in the world, what you can uh, impress people, these things don't matter anymore. You've done all that. So you have a slightly, you're looking at things from a slightly more elevated viewpoint right? rather than focus so much on the self. I think it's that distance from immediate selfishness that 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 makes the difference, I think, in what grandmothers are willing to do. What does it feel like to to step out of that selfhood as you describe more it? More relaxed. You know, when I was in my twenties and a beautiful, voluptuous young woman with shining hair <laughs> <laughs> I was always busy hating myself for one imagined defect or another. I was always uh, miserably worried about what I looked like. But society does this to women. It's grotesque. When I look back at a time when I should have been heedlessly joyful, uh, I spent so much time worrying about how I was dressed and what I looked like. Well, I no longer care about that. So it's a, a very freeing, freeing moment, you know, uh, I think that most of the older women I know who are activists can express this very readily, that they just don't care about those superficial things anymore. And how does that feeling of freedom go with the power of older womanhood that you talked about? How do they dovetail? Well, the, uh, the power of not caring if you get a bad reputation for demonstrating in front of the embassy or right. you know, <laughs> that's the power, the power of, of bravery. Uh, look at those kids from Parkland. They have so much power because they are not paying attention to what this will do to their CV or, <laughs> or what people will think of them. They're so enraged and traumatized by what happened to them in the school shooting that they're, They've moved beyond those superficial concerns about self-advancement. And I think in a way it's the same with older people who have any connection to the wider world. They are not caring so much about themselves or their little nest egg or, you know, right. what crews they're going to take. It's an attachment to the welfare of the world that is moving them. Here's a, I don't know if this is a fair question, but if you reflect back, I have thought of this before. If you reflect back, well, let me put it this way. You wrote feminist columns for three decades. Yes. And you interviewed thousands upon thousands of women. Yes. And you were a younger woman doing it. Yeah. And if you cast your mind, if you cast your mind back, what, what, was your impression, or were you? Did you even have an impression of what you're talking about now? Older women yeah. and the power of that, and the freedom of not that not being locked in that narcissism and anxiety about your purpose and what you're doing and raising kids. When you think about it, what what does that look like looking back? That's funny you ask that because I remember in my early 40s doing a series of features on older women. 
uh, the focus of the thing was on how little support they got from social services and from the government. And so naturally, I was interviewing a series of older women in very vulnerable situations, fragile, poor health, isolated. And I would come away from these interviews just heartbroken and so moved by pity and, and sorrow that these women were living alone, worrying about could they afford their pills, worried about one woman I remember couldn't move without her caregiver, but the caregiver only came at certain hours of the day. And while we were sitting there uh, and I was talking with her, she peed. Oh. It, and, and the stream of urine ran down across the floor. She wanted just to die of embarrassment. She, and, and I wanted to die of pity that she was in that situation yeah. where she couldn't get to the bathroom on her own. She was embarrassed to ask me, a stranger, to help her. Right. And so this, just like being a toddler, you know, so yeah. helpless, I felt so bad for her. And that's an image that often would come to me when I thought about old age. I didn't think about the freedom or the release from many duties or obligations. I, I really didn't. I thought about this terrible vulnerability and isolation, something I have not experienced myself. And I'm pushing up close to 80, and I still feel exactly like myself, not like some fragile, doddering old person. No, physically, right. I mean, <laughs> a doddering old person. I think that makes you more <laughs> indignant than piteous. Yes, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but it doesn't affect my sense of my own self. Right. You know, so. But I think these revelations are important because uh, one of the things that really stunned me when I started looking into the world of podcasts and it's a whole universe of very interesting conversations. There's a kind of democracy, uh, maybe even an anarchy in it, which is quite delicious because it's not regulated by, um, at the moment, at least for the most part, it's not regulated by um, consumers. It's not in a, some of it is in a monetized environment, but most of it, anyone can do it if you have the microphone uh-huh. and, the, and the equipment. So there are people having conversations that you don't hear in mainstream media yes. where it's all regulated by what the consumer wants or what will get advertised. Or the advertising. Or the advertising. Yes. So it's, it's very interesting. But I was stunned to look through all of these podcasts, find many, many interesting ones, and to find that there were most of the podcasts around older women were health and and aging yes and you know and there's quite a bit around grandparenting and grandmotherhood there's there's some but it for me it didn't capture the dynamism the power that you talk about yes. that I have personally experienced in with, our relationship but also with grandmothers around the world absolutely. that I've had the privilege to work with yeah and I really wanted to find a way to capture that because it's so missing in the public discourse well, I think the stereotypes about older women have a number of uh, um, <laughs> sorry impacts. And one of them is that someone who gets to be 75 or 80 and is in good health and still vigorous doesn't think of herself as an older woman, you know? So right. she exempts herself from that category okay. and she doesn't say, look at me, I'm an older woman, I just ran the marathon. I mean, right. that's not how she thinks of herself because she's still very capable physically. So all these stereotypes that I had of the fragile 
older woman are they they are an impediment and i think that um if we were slightly more inclusive in the way we think of older women we would notice how many more are still extremely active and out there and they're just not defining themselves as older and of course you know it is it is about gendered perceptions yes of, of people because when men get older they're distinguished they're distinguished oh that distinguished gray at their temples whereas a woman with white hair is an old hag why doesn't she get it dyed you know? <laughs> <laughs> that's right and and in your own experience of the last decade or 15 years of of moving into that place uh -huh. of, of knowing that you feel like yourself, but others are now seeing you yes. as an old woman or as a granny or whatever it is mm -hmm. that the stereotype dictates. Um, what is your experience moving through the world that way? You know, so many older women say they hate being called dear or they feel totally invisible when they go into a shop. Everyone else gets attended to before them. Uh, that is not my experience. I, If people call me dear, I take that very kindly. They're being nice to an older person. <laughs> it doesn't diminish my sense of self that someone is verbally patting me on the head. I know who I am. You know? <laughs> I, I like it that they're friendly and kind and call me dear or hold open the door. I find that very civilized. And um, I can't say that I have felt put down, discriminated against, or shunted aside because of my visible aging. It doesn't happen to me, or maybe I just choose not to notice it. Right. But it's not the way I perceive the world. I see it as very friendly. Right. And okay, so so let's close. Let's go. Let's close by coming back to grandmother. Okay. Um, I I've said often that you know grandmotherhood isn't always a promotion. <laughs> in the eyes of the world. And we have Norman Rockwell to thank, I think, in, in some small measure for that. But um, but it is such a powerful force yes, uh, in our lives. So, so I guess the question I have, and I've been thinking about this, it's a real question for me, is older women sometimes get together in different You'll see them in different movements or in different uh -huh. struggles or or even just socially because they're friends and they're peers. But there is something extremely powerful when grandmothers name themselves as grandmothers yes. and come together around issues. There are grandmothers who work on the environment. There's grandmothers who work on reproductive rights. There's grandmothers uh, protesting environmental degradation. Yes. And And what do you think about that? And, and where do you see yourself in it? There's two questions there. What do you, why do you think that is so powerful in naming? And, and where do you put yourself in that? Well, when I am together with friends who have children, either they can't wait till the baby is born, right. or they're exulting over the brilliance and beauty of the new little one. And it's universal. I think that the love you feel towards your grandchildren is so total and so fierce. And you want the world to be good for them and still be there for them. And it's a tremendous motivator towards political action, environmental action, because right now in this century, we're seeing the threats to the continuance of the human race. 
And uh, to counterpose that with the joy you feel just looking at your grandchildren's faces, the beauty of children was often invisible to me when I was younger. I took it for granted. Now I look at them, I marvel at their incredible beauty. You know, <laughs> I have <laughs> to just, remember that. <laughs> it's just a pleasure to look at them yeah. and to feel that they exist in the world. And I guess it's a selfish joy. I suppose if I analyze it, it's that a part of me is continuing on in them. I've been able to give them certain thoughts and feelings that they will carry with them. Uh, that I'm pleased about, but it just, it's so indefinable to say why it should be such a joy just to be with them, Mm -hmm. just to exult in their personhood. Because I know it, it's because you're intimate with this young developing person and you're watching them change in ways that you can't predict or control. They're themselves. And it's so delightful and charming to watch that develop. And amazing, you know, right. What? He's good at music. I can't even carry a tune. That's amazing. (laughs) You know, (laughs) it's such a delight to see their talents unfold and to feel you have a connection to that child. That child knows you and loves you. And that's very sustaining. It goes both ways. Of course. I mean, I think the children benefit so much from the grandparents love, but it goes both ways. Mm -hmm. It's such a good feeling to be attached to the world through these young people. I do feel so sorry for people who don't have grandchildren, but great many make up for that by being attached to nieces and nephews and so on. So there are ways to do it or even through political activism where they are benefiting the next generation. Well, and that comes back to the other part of my question, which is this this naming of oneself as a grandmother and in the grandmothers movement in Canada and Australia and the UK and now the U S uh, grand others, right? There yes. are grandmothers yes, who are involved in yeah. the grandmothers campaign who, uh, who are not grandmothers, but they call themselves grandmothers. Yes, grandmothers. Like that. And that coming together, that, that self naming as a grandmother or as a grand other within that framework, um, why is that so powerful? Why is it so meaningful? I know it's meaningful to me. What does, why do you think it's so powerful? Well, they're part of the human family. They're part of an older generation that has good things to impart. Wisdom, knowledge, experience, insight. Um, just because they don't have their own grandchildren doesn't mean they don't have that to impart. And calling themselves grand others puts them as part of that category that has such wealth to transmit to the next generation. That's a good feeling. Right. So I think that uh, it's a lovely thing that they call themselves grandmothers and join in. Yeah. And for the grandmothers, as I was saying, when you when grandmothers come together as older women, it's a different alchemy. But when they come together as grandmothers, there's something very powerful about that. It's a commitment to the future. Mm. The absolute unswerving commitment to the future to make it better. We know where we've come from. We know how much the world has progressed. Yes, there have been a lot of bad turns, (laughs) many. Mm -hmm. But we also know the social progress that's been made. When I compare my limited, confined childhood to what youngsters now experience, the wealth of cultural riches, the freedom to sample things, 
There's just no comparison. So I look into the future and think these youngsters will make the world better for everyone. Uh, there's an optimism that comes with surviving. <laughs> <laughs> that's wonderful. Okay, that is, that's the last word, survival. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Ma. You're welcome. Thanks for listening. I'm Ilana Landsberg-Lewis, your host of Grandmothers on the Move. If you want to find out more about me or the podcast, go to grandmothersonthemove.com and come back next week for another episode.